Hi, you're listening to Happy Hour with Stretch and Stir Fry. You can find us on sailworld.com, yachtsandyachting.com and iTunes. Hi folks, you join us this week with a great guest. He's a former World Sailor of the Year. He's a Volvo Ocean Race winner. He's the CEO of Doyle Sales, Mike Sanderson, Moose. Now, with any call these days, it normally starts with the preamble of coronavirus and what's happening. Luckily, Stretch and myself have got that out of the way. And we're now into Kiwi Sailors, quarantine, what happens when they get home. So potentially you lads can come and do a regatta and you won't have to quarantine when you get home? No, we can come and, well, t- as of today, we can come and do a regatta and the, and the government pays to put us in a hotel for two weeks when we get home. Oh, have you got the heritage suite? Yeah, yeah exactly. But, they, but, you know, that, that, that was obviously one thing when people were coming, you know, home. But when, as soon as we start leaving to go and do to, for, for work, you've got to believe that, um, you know, they get a jump on that relatively quickly. And they're, they're talking about it already, but at the moment, that's still the status. You can, you can go, and when you come back, you, you're in a hotel. But, the ho- you know, the, the, pre- the original isolation, well, it started off with self-isolation, so you, which I think is what you guys have to do, right? You just stay at home. And then it became sort of controlled isolation, and self-isolation was actually quite pleasant because you were allowed to go out for a walk or a run or a bike ride or anything, um, but you had to just keep your distance. This controlled isolation is, you know, half an hour walk around a hotel car park a day and the rest of the time you're literally in your room. So it'll, that would be a long two weeks. Yeah. So, yeah. Stretch has actually changed because obviously of this, dire situation he's managed to change his business slant haven't you stretch i've gone from running events to becoming a cleaner but you know everyone needs a cleaner cleaner a cleaner a cleaner. <laughs> you're doing it down stretch Not haven't you got cleaner. haven't you got some special ghostbusters uh, yeah. troop with packs on their backs that spray anything that moves i fog everything that comes within 10 yards of me nowadays really <laughs> Okay. I can see you more like the, um, you know, the clean, a cleaner like in a in a mafia movie. Story. I can, you know, see yeah. in the wall. Yeah, exactly. Although, yeah, Winston. <laughs> now that there's actually some rugby to watch on TV, thanks to you Kiwis, I'm a lot nicer person. I'm less less inclined to sort of yeah. cleaner jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the rugby's been, um, it's amazing, you know. I mean, people are dying to do things, eh? I mean, the rugby, Eden Park was sold out for the Blues game last week, and I think it probably will be again this week. And, um, you know, we did it. We did a Stu Bannatine, Bianca Cook, myself and Emma did a, did a talk at the squad, and, um, you know, we got close to 100 people coming along to that. So it just shows you that people are keen to just come out and do things, you know. Yeah, but Moose, um, you're probably more successful than the Blues in the last 10 years. No, oh, <laughs> no definitely hard, not. But, well, but, actually, yeah. also, Moose, they were probably going to watch one of Britain's greatest offshore sailors, Emma Richards. Exactly. <laughs> no, there is no doubt. There is no doubt they weren't coming to see 
uh, Stu or myself. You know, the girls are definitely we were on to we were on to something there. You had so, them front of house, no. did you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we should have been serving the drinks, but no, it was it was good. It hey, was good. I mean, how's this, your, this yeah, sorry. How's, how's your cherub going? Yeah, unbelievable. So cool. You know, I've been, you know, I've sort of been on this eternal hunt. So far, I don't, you know, none of my kids have totally grasped, have, have totally taken the sailing bug, but I don't think I've totally put any of them off yet. You know what I mean? We've sort of peeled them out in time where there's still hope. And I've been dying to find something that, you know, I enjoy, that my 10-year-old enjoys. And because he loves being on the water and loves boats and loves hooning around and, and all that sort of stuff. And um, no, the, the cherub's just been a winner. I mean, I've had him out both days of every weekend for the last three days, his choice, and uh, just loves it. So that's a boat that's been in the family for a while and you've just refurbed? No, not at all. No, I picked it up off, uh, you know, off, you know, a thing called Trade Me, which is our version of eBay. Yeah. And, um, you know, it wasn't expensive and, you know, I mean, it was, you know, thousand pounds worth. But that, you know, it was built by Andy Kensington when he was 20 years old as a, and he's the, you know, now one of the structural engineers for Team New Zealand and has been for the last, you know, three or four cycles. And, um, yeah, I mean, they're cool little boats because they're, you know, obviously 12 feet long, but they're, you know, they're only 50 kgs. So it actually makes a lot of sense for a parent and child situation, you know, like it can still, it'll still get up. I mean, it re really gets up and goes, but, you know, if we need to sort of nurse at home, you know, if um, for sure, well, I put a roll of furler on it, for, for sure you can, you know, roll the jib up and, and you could just trundle home, you know, if you had to and it got a bit blowy. But now we've had some awesome rides. Love it. I'll keep the photos coming on face, but the sails look a bit ropey. When are you going to get some decent sails on it? Exactly. I've just done that now. Just <laughs> done that. Yeah. I don't think exactly. I've seen on the, I haven't seen on the Doyle's website a new division for dinghies yet. I know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You didn't no, let Fongo probably... loose on it, did you? Yeah, no, I, I let out your old mate, Andrew Lecty. Do you remember Andrew? Hannibal, um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's just turned into Mr. Dinghy, to be honest. He he designed all the so He You know, he's still involved in the Australian Olympic team and things. And um, he designs those Honda, you know, he, he when he, while he was still at North, he designed all of the 80, Kiwi 18-foot skiff sails that went and beat up the Aussies, which we always love, you know. He's designed well, that, some good cherub sails. That's a beautiful dovetail. Stretch and I were talking the other day, and one of the super impressive things that I think Doyle have done is the people that you have managed to amass in the last two and a half years. It's quite a team. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, you know, it's really cool. And I mean, um, you know, we've, we've got this great opportunity because of the fact that, you know, all our, um, all our lofts are, you know, or so many of our lofts are franchise lofts and, and our own. There's this opportunity for for people of, of our vintage, if you like, to to use their sailing skills. You know, all of us who were involved in that, you know, wonderful era of America's Cup monohull racing, where we did get an opportunity to tinker with rigs and sails and, 
you know, the, the Whitbread and the Volvo and Volvo 70s and bits and pieces, you know, that's, that was a, uh, a wonderful era, if you like, from the late 80s until, you know, of recent times when boats started popping up out of water in particular. But, you know, we, you know, we did a lot of, a lot of tinkering. And so there's, a, there's a, a huge amount of guys out there. Well, there's a great, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a great group of people out there that were involved in that monohull development that can be really helpful, you know, to, to people in their law, you know, people buying sales for their boats. And, um, you know, so that's what we've, we've tried to do is, is just get really good sailors um, and really nice people um, that can go and talk to people about making their boats better. And, you know, I think it's a cool recipe. You know, I've, I've, I always say to them, listen, you don't, I don't want you to be a salesman. I want you to be, you know, Chris Nicholson, Ado Stead, Brian Thompson, Tony Ray. I want you to give the professional advice, which you're, you know, capable of doing. And yeah, I mean, I think it's the right thing. For sure. For sure. Mm. It's a, it's a, pretty extraordinary endorsement that so many of the world's top sailors want to jump into the Doyle uh, brand and do it for you that's for sure because um, as Sturfro says it's an extraordinary list of of the who's who of sailing I dread to think how many round the world races all your lot have done yeah well Stu just just between Stu and Nico I guess they've got that pretty much wrapped up on their own but um no, it's a, it's a cool thing, you know. I mean, it, yeah, we enjoy each other's company. We enjoy sitting around talking about boats. Stirfire knows we've been trying to drag him along for years, so he's. Uh, but, but this isn't you know, an interview, having, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Haven't quite got there yet, but um, no, I mean, it's a you know, I mean that everyone we've got are, are guys who you know I've known for years, have raced against, have raced with. And, you know, who obviously, you know, we all rate incredibly highly and enjoy, enjoy making boats nicer to sail, faster to sail, better to sail, you know. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a fun recipe. So we, we sort of chatted briefly on, on, on email, Moose. Um, how are you guys dealing with, with COVID-19 and, and, and I suppose the whole delay of yachting as we know it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously brutal. We, we'd been in a big, you know, a pretty big growth phase. And so, you know, the timing probably couldn't be a lot worse. We'd, you know, we'd just opened a, a third stratus plant. So we'd increased our capacity, if you like, by, by you know, 65%. Um, but the reality is, you know, we... Um, you know, we're incredibly fortunate with our with our client base and and with it you know with the the lovely people that we get to work with if you like um you know doyle's is quite um you know it's 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 heavily involved in the super yachts and and the grand prix race boats at one end and then it's quite a big jump off and down to the one design and the lofts out servicing servicing the local harbors and fleets and um, you know, the yacht club scene, if you like. North very much own, you know, that 50, 40 to 70 foot pro-am race boat fleet. And um, so in reality, our, 
Super Yacht and Grand Prix race owners have been fantastic. And in fact, we've seen a really, we've had a really busy time with uh, new builds, especially in the big boat market, because I think, you know, you take something away from people and, you know, they miss it a lot. And people have been sitting at home thinking about what they're going to be able to do when this is all over. So there's been a lot of activity in, in new build and new build discussions and things. So that which is really exciting for 2020, probably 2022, 23 for the bigger projects. And then, you know, on the, on the grassroots stuff, um, on the families going sailings out of their local yacht club and things, um, you know, that's just been chipping away nicely. So, no, the reality is, you know, we're budgeting for maybe as, as little as, as half the year that we were expecting. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll be fine on that. And, um, you know, as we are just speaking about before, we've got great people and those great people have got great relationships with their clients and we're just doing everything we can just to, to, um, to, to keep making it as good as it can for people to go sailing, you know, during these weird times. Yeah. Well, Stir Fry has been incredibly rude about my new boat, which she consistently calls the shitter every time we speak to anyone. And um, I'm very proud that I've got a new jo- Doyle Genoa, courtesy of nice. my boy. Nice. There um, you go, really, nice. I'm praying going to turn my shitter into something <laughs> slightly better than a shitter. I think you know the rules, Stretch. You cannot polish a turd. <laughs> but you can roll it in glitter. <laughs> You might have to edit that. Thanks, Steph. That's quite an expensive mistake I've just made in that case. (laughs) (laughs) So, but on a more serious note, Moose, um, Mm. tell us a bit more about Stratus and, and, you know, how the skins are made and what they entail. Yeah, so, I mean, my philosophy in Stratus before (laughs) I even got involved was just following on from the discussion which we were having about people, you know, and, and... you know, what I, what the due diligence I did on Stratus before um, I, yeah, committed to Doyle's, which is now 10 years ago, scary as that thought might be, um, you know, was, was the procedure good enough that, you know, that good people can make good sales using the Stratus technique? Was it fundamentally a good enough process that with the right input, um, you know, it was capable of making good sales. And I was able to come to that solution really quickly, you know, or that answer really quickly, which, you know, was a categoric yes. The, the lamination quality is great. The fiber efficiency is good. And, and the, you know, the, 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 the fiber to, to weight ratio, if you like. So the engineering solution was was very good for making sales. So then you go, okay, we've got a process which is good enough. Um, and then it comes down to, you, you know, the input. And the input, you know, doesn't come from the computational firepower. It comes from good people. And, you know, so... So really it came down to, you know, what is, you know, what, what is the process, you know, is the process able to deliver good enough, the, the sales which the guys want to build? And now whether that's for a, you know, a 30 foot cruising boat, 
um, that wants stratus membranes for durability and longevity, um, or, or, or whether it's Comanche or an America's Cup boat or Hugo Boss or whatever at the other end. And so, so that's the thing I love about stratus, as we can laminate more fiber than anyone, we can, we've got more surface options than make sense commercially by a million miles, but you can basically have a multitude of colors, weights, um, surface makeup, um, film weight, whatever you want. So, you know, if you're someone like Stir Fry and you know what you want, then for sure we can build it for you. And um, I think that's, you know, that's what I and love about Stratus. And that's what, you know, when you explain and, you know, when the, the Brian Thompson's and Ada Steads and Chris Nicholson's and Stu Bannatine's and Tony Ray's and these guys do, do their due diligence on it before they commit their own family's money to something, they, they see that and they see what we've been able to do, you know, with the product. And, um, that, you know, that, so that's a really cool thing, you know, and that makes it very adaptable. Yes, we're, we're still very capable of getting, you know, the, the wrong input and, and building the wrong sales. I mean, you know, whether you're North or Alstrom or Doyles or, or Evolution or Quantum, you know, we can all make good sales with the good input and we can all make terrible sales with, with, with the bad input. So that's why, coming back to your first question, for me, it's all about the people. You know, is the, is the process good enough to make good sales to deliver what the people uh, want? And um, so, yeah, that's, that's a slightly long-winded answer to your question, Stir Fry. But, you know, that's, the, that's I guess, if you like, like the ethos of Stratus. It can it's, build what you want. It's interesting. I mean, I, I, you sound like Lowell North now. In the, <laughs> well, you do, because basically you're saying, um, right, here's, here's the product. Now, the only thing that will make the product better is people. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. You know, if you go back, if you, you don't have to go back very far at all. You know, maybe six or seven years ago, well, it probably is more than that. It's probably 10 years ago, you know, at the, you know, at the end of the 3DL era, if you like, you know, the, yeah, there was 2010. A, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, there was this. There was sort of this perception around that the that you know sales stability or or lack of movement in sales was the be all and end all, if you like. And 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 therefore, you know, people probably had in their head that if you could get the weight right and you didn't have to tack it, that a molded steel sale was yeah. the ultimate was the ultimate sale template now sales we, yeah now we are so far past that now you know with with jibs which are getting you know flatter up the range which obviously this you know structured luff technology um where we've you know where we've managed to um you know reduce compression on rigs at the same time as having um taking headstay sag away which we all know is one of the evils of all evil unless you're actual sailing uh, <laughs> well even they've worked it out, even they've worked it out now right and right. Since, um since they've gone to molded jibs yep it would yes. appear that rig tension is everything exactly 
you know, it's an interesting time, you know, even in the last few years, this, this structured life stuff, um, this load sharing between, you know, the sale and the forestay um, to get rid of headstay sag and to, and to reduce mass compression, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know, probably one of the biggest, you know, foils aside, you know, for but for a super yacht or uh, any race boat program now, it's certainly one of the biggest ticket items that they've got to they've got to check in with. And and I presume these ideas are evolutionary rather than you don't sit around and have a brainstorm. They've they've evolved through Buzzard, you, Stu. Yeah you know, people um, sort of making incremental gains and then suddenly, oh, we're onto something and then you make incremental gains on that something and then you're onto the next thing. Yeah, well, well funnily enough, you know, the, the, the structured laugh and the cableless thing, you know, we, we, I have to confess, we, we stumbled on to a certain extent. So about four years ago, we made an IRC code zero, uh, well, it's actually longer than that, five years ago, an IRC code zero for, for Bellamente where a portion of the luff folded around the front. And because at under IRC, there was only sail measurement um, restrictions. The, there was no sail setting requirement. So the sail measured perfect, you know, measured beautifully. Um, there was no, you know, there was no weirdness with it, but it was just, you know, back to what we can do now with the structures there were, structurally, it was designed that as the luff got pulled tight, um, a, a carbon band in the middle of the, well, you know, a proportion back from the luff pulled up tight and the luff actually folded around and was designed to sit beautifully tucked in on the back side of the sail. And that required, you know, quite a bit of structure um, development in the, in the front. And that's where we, we came up with what we now call a, the lens. And, you know, it wasn't until we started photographing those sails that we went, holy shit, this thing's basically flying on centerline. You know, why? Yeah. And, you know, why is it flying on centerline? And, and as you say, from an evolution standpoint, we were able to work backwards. Well, that it was flying on centerline because it was allowed to fly on centerline because thousands of years here we had been hanging sails off off uh, you know a bit of string or a bit of wire a bit of rod a bit of pbo a bit of whatever and and um you know we all know how easy it is to deflect a dock line but you know you take the load around the natural load line and the luff's free to go to where it wants to go and that takes a, a mere fraction of the load, which is only common sense. It's, it's remarkable that it's taken us this long to all work it out. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. It, you know, it's just a matter of working away on things, you know, stumbling across things and how solving, you know, one problem opened other doors, you know. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't create that cable the sail to to reduce luff sag we created it to get around a mid-girth rule yeah the, the irc um, mid-girth rule so yeah. what are you going to stumble on next well i mean we're, we're only just you know scraping the surface with this load sharing yeah you know it's it's um <clears throat> it's it's amazing you know we're for sure 
getting into it now in mainsail world. And so just, Moose, just for the, the uh, I use the word guardedly, uninitiated, explain um, what the load share is and the benefits. Well, as we just sort of started on before, you, you know, for thousands of years, we've been hanging sails off a forestay. And um, that forestay takes a lot of tension on each end to try and stop it sagging in the middle. And we've been pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling on the ends, you know, and with our, the reality is with our little finger, we can deflect it in the middle. What we have worked out is a few, the, the natural load line of the sail is actually a curve between those two points. And if you let the load go around the, the natural load line, then it takes a fraction of the load to keep the straight between the two points. As much as 30 or 40%, and, and if we work on it hard, as much as 50%. And, and what that does is that means there's less compression on the mast, you know, trying to drive the mast to the bottom of the boat. And so the mast can be lighter. Once the mast's lighter, the keel can be lighter. The running backstays can be lighter. The winches to pull the running backstays can be lighter. You know, the engine can be lighter. You can carry less fuel. It just goes on and on and on, all the way through the, the whole naval architecture calculation. Yeah. And, and, and so small bit of structure added to the sail um, to, to deal with the loads huge gains um, come out the other end of the funnel. So if, if, if we just broke it down, uh, originally we were bearing, say, 95% of the headstay load on the load cell through the headstay. Yeah. Now yeah. it's going to be more like 60 and 40% will be borne through the jib, uh, the halyard lock and the tack. Yeah, and, and one, one thing which we've learned is, is you know, that you can pretty much choose to take whatever ratio of that the boat's capable of or that you want to. For example, if, if you have an existing super yacht and it's got an existing head swivel furler, which is, has, a, has a limitation to what it was designed for, or, or any boat for that matter, um, you may only be able to take 30% of structured luff element into into that configuration and but still yet you see again on the other side of that you know we go up wind on comanche with the j1 on um which was originally designed for 30 tons and and as a as a free hoisting roller furling sail so it was originally designed for 30 tons and the old sail had you know, ridiculous amount of force they sag really limited the the range because of how much force they sag it got. In reality, the guys, you know, it was a 30 ton limit, but the guys, most of the time, it was sailing at 26, 27. We now go upwind in at 17 tons of total load on the force day with, you know, a couple of hundred mils of force day sag as designed. And so on that particular sail, we've probably got 85% on the sail 
and 10 or 15, you know, 15% on, on, this, on just a, a tiny luff sling at the front just to really define the entry. Yep. Um, so you can, you can definitely scale it backwards and forwards, you know, however much the boat. For example, a free hoisting staysail or something, which have always been horrific for heads for sag, especially when you're using them as a jib, you know, can, can be basically 90% um, load on the sail. And that gets the biggest luff projection, you know, for your biggest bang for your buck, if you like. But you don't mind a, a little bit more writing moment, do you, as the uh, ABM boat show? <laughs> no, writing moments always served me quite well. It might have something to do with the fact I was a pretty chunky kid, so maybe writing moments <laughs> always just in my DNA, you know? So, so apparently when you were just gathering before the start, you'll probably remember Oscar Strugstad from ABM. Yeah, well. Yeah, and um, I see a lot of him. You know, he's just a close friend of mine. And uh, mm. Paul Kayard came up to him just before you left the dock. Um, yes. And he said, it would appear that your team have built a better mousetrap than us. <laughs> and he was pretty bloody spot on. Yeah. So um, you're not averse to taking a chance on a designer or a little bit of a technological gain, are you? No, you know, no, I, I enjoy that bit of it. You know, in reality, Stefan wasn't ever a good enough sailor to, um, to use the same gear as everyone else. <laughs> and, and so I like, you know, I like that bit of it. Um, I've, you know, like you, I've come from a sail making background. And so, you know, I enjoy that, that part of it. That's what I, you know, trying to make boats go faster for me is an easier way of, of winning races, you know. Yeah, I, I just love tinkering with boats. Uh, you know, people think I'm quite strange that I will still do it in my spare time and I'll, I'm inflicting it on my family and it's in your things. dna yes i mean we 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 literally often have boats in our, in the living room at home um so that we can tinker around on them um so no I, you know I, I i do still love that bit of it um you know, we touched on the cherub before you know that's i would do that all weekend if, every weekend if if i could you know take one of my kids out with me and um so no i love it so, but going back to the ABN, I mean, it, it's widely known that, you know, it was the best boat and certainly yep. you, you put together a pretty awesome team. I would imagine one of the, the skills was not pushing too hard in that race. All you had to do was, you know, sail at 90, 95% where other people were pushing hard all the time and get the boat around the course in one piece. Yeah, we logic would say that, but, you know, I think... You know, I turned 35 at the end of that race, you know, and so there was still probably, a, you know, we were probably a pretty young, probably still pretty stupid bunch in reality, looking back, you know, so we definitely pushed harder than we needed to, you know, and, and we, we, you know, we did want to be breaking 24 hour records and we did want to try and win every leg. And that's, you know, I think, um, you know, that's just that's just the, the place we were in. I mean, we, we did know our boat very well, though. And, you know, you look back, you, you know, we, we had, you know, very good helmsmen and trimmers. And we had a lot of, you know, obviously 
the most wonderful navigator and Stan Honey. And I mean, we had a lot of things, you know, going going our, our way. And I must say, you know, Oscar and the and the team at ABN and um, our wonderful gentleman called Dolph Calais and and um, you know Roy Heiner and all these people. They they you know work, working for the Dutch was amazing. You knew a hundred percent where you stood at all times and they were very clear about the goal you know i mean out the 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 the, the catchphrase of the campaign was you know one clear goal and um making more possible you know we had plastered all over our spinnakers so we knew what we were there to do and they certainly gave us the tools and there was never any excuses you know so now we had a wonderful time so you're just a little bit bitter that the kids got the 24-hour record <laughs> yeah yeah there was there was there's plenty of good banter about that i was actually thinking about that on my run this morning again you know it's, oh, oh it's, but it's, so it's still there it's it's definitely it's it's <laughs> definitely um yeah, yeah it, it lives on you know but but you, you it, it's so cool i mean what a what a great bunch of guys the kids were you know are and and you know we still we're still tight, bicey and stir fry and I mean, I mean sci-fi and and you know all the all, all the Beavis and all the guys that were you know on that um, young boat as well. You know they've all gone on to do great things and it's it's very cool, very proud. Of. Yeah, yeah. Moose, when you were at school, you were obviously um, uh, thinking about sail making more than schoolwork. It sounds like. Because um, you, you left early to go straight into sailing, didn't you? Or sail making? Yeah, yeah. And, and so what? Yeah, I did, Rory. You know, I, I, so, I mean, New Zealand was in a, um, you know, 85 through to 80. So my secondary school years were supposed to be 85 to 89. And, um, you know, I went from a little, um, school up north where I'd you know ride my motorbike or, or or something through the back farmers you know cattle runs and and things to school and you know never wore shoes and anything to to sort of New Zealand's one of New Zealand's most elite English boarding schools I I still joke it's more it's more English boarding school than the English boarding schools are <laughs> but and it's still a bit like that today. But you know, wonderful school, amazing opportunities. But it was a long way from my little Mangatapere Primary School with 150 people. Yeah. And um, you know, between '85, you know, New Zealand was in Fremantle with KZ7, and and you know the the Fremantle America's Cup, and and then. Um, which went through to 87 and then 89, 90, uh, of course, was the Steinlager Fisher and Paykel um, battle around the world. And so, you know, 1988 came along and I'd, I'd toughed it out at school as long as, uh, you know, I was ready to get amongst it. And I identified that sail making, you know, was, was the smartest road for me into professional sailing. And, um, you know, if you think about it in New Zealand, you know, Simon Daubney, Tony Ray, Kevin Shoebridge, um, you know, all these guys, Chris Dixon, are all sail makers by trade. And, um, and so, you know, it was obvious that, you know, that was a great road to go down. 
um, uh, you know, Brad Butterworth, Robbie Naismith, Mike Quilter, you know, then the list goes on and on. These guys were all sale makers. And so, so yeah, I, um, I left before my final year. I'd, I'd got my uni- the, the qualifications I needed to go to university in case it all turned to custard. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I left and, and took up a, an apprenticeship at North South, which, yeah, which was a, a great time in my life. And, and was it your North Sales connection that got you onto the New Zealand Endeavour team? How did you get into those? No, guys? it wasn't. No, no. I mean, Endeavour. No. So I'd won a little class, a class in New Zealand called the Elliot Five Point Nines, which which were basically the Elliot Six, which went on to be the women's match racing boat in London. Um. So I just won the Elliott 5.9 Nationals and I got asked um, to go and do um, a race called the Coastal Classic, which is from Auckland to the Bay of Islands and here in New Zealand. It's a drinking um, race, Murray, uh, Stretch. <laughs> yeah, you just, yeah, you yeah. just arrive and then order a spare liver. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think you'd be fine at it, Rory. I think you'd be all over it. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. October. Uh, in end of October in New Zealand. I'll, I'll organise something. If you can travel by then, you're on. I got asked to, to sail on Murray Ross's boat, who was who was uh, who had navigated Fisher and Paykel, famous Kiwi designer. And anyway, he he let me steer about halfway up the coast. And about six hours later, I was still steering the thing. And and twenty minutes after we'd finished, you know, he said to me, "I think you should speak to Dolts about the." Whitbread race, and that, that obviously had been my dream, and I, I thought it was a couple of beers talking, but, um, you know, before I knew it, I had my name on a list for an interview to go and see Dolts and Shub, and, um, yeah, the rest is history. I was, I was only 21, so, you know, it was, it was pretty, it was young, um, but an amazing opportunity. You jumped up straight on as a driver, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, I mean, we were... We, you know, we were like, the group of nippers that we had are still good mates. So it was myself, Brad Jackson, um, Stu Bannatyne, and Sean Clarkson. So we were the four nippers, um, and here we are all still doing it now today, you know. Um, and yeah, so Brad and I and Stu all ended up being, you, you know, primary helmsmen or not, you know, you know, part of the driving team. Uh, on the boat which was which was very cool because Stu must have only just finished racing lasers by that stage hadn't he I mean (laughs) yeah yeah so Stu's Stu's New Zealand so he was actually in Europe um he was he wasn't part of the original team and then we had a little bit of a shake-up when we were actually training um uh in the UK before the race and so yeah Stu's story is pretty good so he was told that um Anyway, he did the he he we got him on board to do the fastnet race with us, and which was the first time the Maxi catches it all lined up, and and we won on Endeavour, and um, we said to Stu, well, I think even Dalt said to Stu, you know, don't muck this up and make a prick of yourself, and 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 Plymouth, you know, you're in good shape, just you know, just take it easy. Anyway, I remember walking back to the hotel and and they're all the boats are lined up and people are still coming in and I look out 
and there's a guy swimming in the middle of the harbour, you know, waving around and fl- yep, that was Stu. <laughs> like, okay, he's he's probably going to be fine. He's one of us. No, so, that was ninety three. Uh, ninety three, yeah. Yeah, I think I remember that. There's no <laughs> doubt you would have been there. <laughs> <laughs> that was the same evening stretch that I was telling you about with the um, jugs of rum and coke with Morty. Yeah, I actually have vague memories of that as well. So yeah, it was a um, yeah, it was a big night. I'll be honest. Well, it was also I think um, it was the dawning on several of our mutual friends that the Fortuna lorries catch wasn't <laughs> so good. <laughs> so no, exactly. Yeah, I think I just remember Ed Danby every fifteen minutes. I mean, mobile phones were pretty young then, and you know it was like having a yeah. brick in your pocket or whatever. But Danby happened to have a phone, and Stanbridge had one as well, and he was on Fortuna, and Danby was with us, and he would just <laughs> phone him every fifteen minutes and just bark at him down the phone. It was just savage. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we no, digress. All those boys. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, New Zealand endeavour—that was um, a big step to be going and driving with some of the Kiwi heroes of the day. I mean, and some tough boys on that boat as well, the older boys. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was just unbelievable for me. You know, here, you know, I, I just, I, you know, I just watched these guys in, in Fremantle and then, and then on Steinlager and then, you know, um, three years later, um, you know, I was sailing with them, which is an incredibly, it's, you know, it seemed like an incredibly short amount of time. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was amazing. It was, you know, and yeah, obviously life changing for me. There's no, there's no other way of phrasing it, you know, and, you know, obviously thrown straight into the sail program. Um, and you know, our little team, was Tony Ray and myself and David Duff, who's Duffy's one of my, you know, partners now in Doyle's and, um, you know, Duffy and I have been, well, we were mates before that and we've basically been working together ever since, you know, and so amazing friendships, you know, is still, you know, still, still keep in touch with everyone on Endeavour and um, it's, you know, it's a long time ago now, scary as it might seem. Um, but yeah, yeah, very cool. And yeah, to be sailing so quickly with so many of your heroes, um, as a young fellow was, was huge. Given how tight you were with, with several of the key protagonists, does it sort of gall you a bit that you never really, um, got the invite to Team New Zealand? No, I did. You know, I, 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 I've had a few invites over various times at team in, with Team New Zealand. You know, it would have been amazing to have been part of the original Team NZ squad in '95. But the fact of the matter is, you know, they, you know, they, they, they certainly didn't need me. You know, that's for sure. At that time, I was probably spending most of my time, you know, mainsail trimming, and and they. You know they were well covered there, so I went and sailed with Dicko, yeah, and which was you know it was an amazing time, you know, learning period of my life. Um, you know, from ninety, you know, I sailed with with Dicko a lot from yeah ninety five with Tag um, through to Oracle in two thousand, you know, um, uh, or two thousand three. Three, yeah, yeah. 
so yeah learned an awful lot from him you know a lot um you know he he was he's obviously very hard to sail with but he's incredibly you know focused on performance and boat speed and trim and accuracy you know and um and, and so that was very good for my sailing So in 2003, Mike, I remember I was, I was living in Asia at the time in Hong Kong and, um, and suddenly all across the South China Morning Post was, um, it was quite rare in, in Asia at the time, all this chat about Mary Cha. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then and that was a job, were you, were you skippering the boat then? I can't remember what you, you were doing with her. It was the first time I'd sort of seen a big maxi yep. action charging around the world, I suppose, outside of the Volvo or Whitbread at the time. Yeah, so I mean, the Marisha has been in a, has been you know a big part of my life. It, Jeff Tativo um, has been the project manager for Marisha forever. Um, he he had been it for forty years, about fifteen years ago. So I not I refuse to put a time on it now. But he's been with the Miller family and with Robert Miller in particular um, for for a very long time. Dick and I, so Richard Meacham and I got got in, got invited to sail on the first Marisha Three transatlantic, and in fact, there's a there's a good story of how I was originally involved in Marisha. Um, full stop. Steph, you'll appreciate this some good old North Sales banter, but I had um, and a bit of Tom Dodson humour. But um, I'd just come back from New Zealand Endeavour uh, back to North Sales, New Zealand, and um, uh, Jeff Tativo, the project manager, was building Marisha 3 at Sensation Yachts. And he rang the front desk at North Sales. And in, in a very French accent, he said, uh, hello, my name is Jeff Tativo. I'm building a 47-meter catch uh, at Sensations. And I remember it as clearly as it's yesterday. Nolene, her name was the receptionist, yells out to Tom. He goes, um, hey, uh, Tom, I've got a guy building a 47-foot catch. Um, and Tom goes, oh, Moose is the catch expert. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I pick, uh, so, you know, so I pick up the phone to speak to this guy building a 47-foot catch. Mm-hmm. He goes, uh, hello, my name is Jeff Tativa. I'm building a 47-meter catch. And at that stage, I was a commission. So I was like, hang on, I'll just take your call outside. <laughs> <laughs> So I was straight down the stairs in the car out to Sensation Yachts and my history with Marisha was born that day and here I am yeah, 30 something years later or whatever it is. So And, um, and Tommy D bought a hearing aid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tommy D's still, still uh, annoyed about it if you like. No, he was, he was great to be fair. He, they, were, they were very cool and so, yeah, Dick and I did the first transatlantic with predominantly a French crew uh, in 98, uh, where we actually broke the transatlantic record in, in Marisha 3. And then we bought Marisha, or they bought Marisha 3 down to uh, Auckland for the America's Cup. And we did the 99 um, Sydney Hobart race in her. Um, and actually broke the course record, which caused a bit of a stink in the CYC. Yeah, literally, you know, I think the day before that, Jeff 
said to me, ah, oh, Moose, you know, I'd, I would like you to steer the boat at the start and, and sort of race skipper it in the race. I was like, cool. Um, and so what was I was, would have been 20, 28, 27, 28. And, um, yeah, from that point on, I've, I've held this sort of race skipper role, the Marisha programs, which, you know, obviously we then went on, um, to build Marisha three to, which was a very purposeful boat just to break the transatlantic record, um, which we did and held for 14 years or whatever it was until Comanche came along. Are the Miller family still heavily involved? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, they still they still only own Marisha Three. We did a big refit on her um, a few years ago and and lengthened the main mast and modernised the rigging and put square top main and mizzen on her and things. And uh, I mean, she still, in my opinion, she's one of the most spectacular super yachts that's ever been built. And um, you know, we did the Palmer Super Yacht Cup in her in her new and you know with their new rig configuration and and we're very unlucky not to win we got pipped in the end by Valshida um but um you know she's just a weapon that boat is it's it really is very cool it's funny you should mention dick bum because um i'm going to ask you a question now and it's 20 years yeah. ago and i'm hoping that your memory is good and it is a humorous um well it's a yeah, humorous yeah. story the initial question might fox you a little so you were sailing um, in Bandol, 1999. It was the Pro-Am, Mum 30s. There was Dick Bum was on the bow, Dave Scott, you, John Cutler. Um, yeah. I, can't, I can't remember who else was on your crew. Anyway, we were sailing. There was Ado, myself, Jules Sutter, yeah, yeah. Shag, a couple of others. And your boat was parked uh, next to the kind of dock. And on the way home from the pub, we took your mane off the boom and reflaked it, passing the head through between the loose foot and then reflaked it. And the next morning we watched you hoist it to much hilarity on our boat, head scratching on your boat. And there was Dick Bum obviously pulling the mane up and, and both of you were scratching your heads. And I just remember it or, or just wanted to ask if you remember the situation. Well, I hate, I mean, the, the, the stories which, Dick and I have had over the years. I mean, that's probably one of the. I I was I I'm actually relieved to hear that that's all that it was. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I actually yeah. There's worse stories from that particular regatta. I we were in one race near the pointier end of the fleet, which, if I recall, wasn't that common, and um and I had the most terrible tummy upset and uh had to had to go be uh, hanging off the back of the boat halfway up the beat in a mum 30 race that's and, not fast uh, no it's not fast it's not, easy. not a good look. it's not nice for your competitors it's not it's not yeah so um yeah no i i i do remember that i shouldn't no. have told i shouldn't have told you because i'll see you now somewhere around the traps and i'll be all gone no, got to keep my no, guard that's, up that's fair that's just fair game right that's anything that involves dick you know if you're with dick you know that a practical joke being done on you is never that far away because um he's the king at, he's the king at dishing it out so you've got to be prepared to receive a fair few he he does dish it out but he does take a few beatings doesn't he <laughs> well when you're only 
you know, when you're the size he is, and let's be honest, he's never been a big man, and you poke you poke shit at big grinders, you 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 know, life's going to get a little uncomfortable for you at times. Yeah, yeah. He's quite elusive and he's quite quick though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Big side step. They get him yeah. eventually though. Yeah, yeah. He drops his guard. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Moose, we, we were chatting about Team New Zealand earlier, and what are your thoughts on the upcoming? America's Cup. It must be exciting to to be a Kiwi and having it in your in your home country. But um, thoughts on 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 the format, on the teams. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, you know, it it it's clearly it's not going to be the event which we all hoped it would be. Certainly from a super yacht spectacle, etc. You know, the Jays were coming, and there's a huge super yacht contingent coming down, and you know, it was going to be massive. And it's you know I'm I'm sure it'll still be a wonderful event. You know it's 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 it, you know we'll still have a good representation of boats down here, etc. Yeah, yeah. So let's hope the world uh, you know recovers quickly enough for that to still be all on track as it as as we all hope. Yeah, I think you've got to believe that it's probably played into Team New Zealand's hands a little bit to defend it. This. Um, unsettled world that we've, you know, going to be in for 2020. Just probably more for how established they are as a team, you know, and how how their systems and processes and communication and and um, you know all those aspects of of what you know what we all know is tricky in an America's Cup or any big team. Full stop. You know that they're, they're very tried and tested at. So, um, yeah, I would have thought it's played into Team New Zealand's hands to defend it. But, yeah, let's see. You know, you, there are, they've got three very strong challenges. And let's be honest, you know, I mean, it doesn't really matter whether, you, you, you know, if you go back to the, you know, to the, to the America's Cup in Valencia with, you know, 15 challenges and things or however many it is that we, you know, we often compare against. In reality, there was probably only still three or four that really stood, you know, a chance of winning. But here we've got three challengers that all think they're going to win. So, you know, it's still from that standpoint, it's going to be, you know, a fiercely contested result. That's for sure. And are you doing skins for American Magic? Do you produce Yeah, that? so we, yeah, we've, con- you know, we're continuing the partnership, which we you know, which we've had established for a long time with Quantum, you know, with, you know, it's of the Balamente, Cannonball, Momo, you know, infrastructure where, the you know, a design team was set up um, for their aero platform and, and our facilities used to build them. The progression in sail making every time there's an America's Cup cycle with sails <laughs> Um, is it always takes a significant leap. Yeah. You know, if you think of 87, you know, and, and if you think of 92 and, and 95 and, you know, 2000, every time there's been quite a, quite a step in, in sail-making technology, and, and we wanted to be a part of that. Um, and, yeah, we were very excited to continue on with our, our relationship, which started so long ago with Bellamento. The other technology which, you know, we're leading the charge in uh, is, of course, the uh, what we call our sail art. So this printed 
technology. So, for example, all the sale GP um, sales, uh, the jibs are are all printed, and Hugo Boss sales are you know are pretty much all printed. We can't print some of the fluoros um, yet, um, but um, you know, being able to print the sails, I mean, you're talking about a significant weight saving there. You know, to paint a sail, especially to paint a black sail, is in excess of 25 grams a square meter, whereas we can print at less than seven grams a square meter. Um, and, you know, you can have the definition of a, of a wall canvas art. So if someone wants their super yacht with a, with a family portrait on it, you know, we can do that. So... That's opening up some amazing opportunities for sponsorship and for, for things going forward, which obviously is, you know, going to be important for sailing. Hugely so. I just, I really hope, especially for, for your old friend, the, the ocean race, I really hope that, that those guys can particularly go out and find some sponsorship and, and find some boats. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. We have fingers crossed. I mean, their, their timing has been brutal. Um, well, the timing with COVID, et cetera, has been brutal on, on that race. And um, yeah, but it's going to be, you know, the Bondi Globe. I mean, I guess if, if you've got one format which is going to be uh, able to continue in a COVID world, that's sending one dude off on his own, one, one person, dude or girl off on their own and on the Vendée. And um, so, you know, that's going to be an amazing sporting um, event um, for us to be able to watch, well, our summer, your winter. So, um, yeah, that'll be cool. Well, Mike, it certainly sounds after 30 years of being a <laughs> sailmaker and doing an awful lot of sailing in the meantime, um, you've still, certainly got a huge amount of enthusiasm, primarily spurred on, I feel, by seeing an osprey now. Um, a what? <laughs> a cherub. Cherub. A cherub. Oh, God. Oh, God. Jesus Christ, he's not that old. <laughs> <laughs> Primarily through sailing a cherub. Sorry, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> well, sailing a cherub with my son is, a, is, a, is one of the coolest things I've done. We did 19 knots in it last weekend, um, you know, with him on the wire, you know, ripping down wind. We sailed through the, 40, the, the Kiwi 49er training fleet. Grant Beck came over and had a look and, you know, it was, um, you know, so very cool. You know, you know, it's it's uh, it it was a very enjoyable moment ripping down wind with my young fella, yeah. one of my young fellas. Brilliant. And is it true the boat's called Vamoose? Vamoose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Vamoose. So, um, yeah, yeah, we've we've had a bit of fun with that. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, Mike, thank you so so much for taking the time this morning your time yeah. to um, chat to us um we certainly don't want to make you wait late for work it's amazing to hear what you've done really and, and it's incredible to see you heading up doyle sales now which is without shadow of a doubt a major superpower now in, in the sailing world and as everyone always says in any business built by personalities and individuals and you've certainly got those in your team yeah well thank you very much for the opportunity guys and um I look. I never thought I would look forward so quickly to going and standing in a customs queue and sitting on a twenty-six hour flight to come and see you. But uh, I genuinely look forward to that day because it means we've got some normality back into our our sailing world. But um, hopefully, I get to see you both soon, and we get to have a beer and have, have, a, have a laugh. Cold one waiting. 
Yeah, absolutely. Lovely, gentlemen. Thanks, mate. Have a good, good evening. Thanks, thanks, thanks for the opportunity. Right. See you, Bruce. Thanks. Bye-bye. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the pod. Leave us a rating on iTunes. Stretch and Stir Fry, signing off. See you soon.